0: Good morning. I'm Donna Quinn. And for the next half hour, you'll be listening to Talk of Our Towns. Today, it is an honor to have Oregon Poet Laureate Kim Stafford in the studio. Kim is the founding director of the Northwest Writing Institute at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, where he's taught since 1979. He helped found the Fish Writers Gathering in the Willamette Mountains, and he's the author of a dozen books of poetry and prose. His latest book of poetry is Wild Honey, Tough Salt. Kim has taught writing in schools, colleges, meadows, forests, and in Assisi, Glasgow, and a remote village in Bhutan. He's Oregon's ninth poet laureate. And today we'll be talking about the role of poetry in mysterious times. Welcome, Kim.
1: Good to be here, Donna.
0: I'm so grateful that you uh, made time for us today.
1: Oh, what a pleasure.
0: And before we talk about the role of poetry in mysterious times... Um, there probably are some few folks out in the world who are not familiar with Kim Stafford. Um, So if you would please tell us a little bit about your journey becoming Oregon's Poet Laureate, that would be lovely.
1: Yeah, well, first I want to say, Donna, uh, Poet Laureate is probably the oddest thing I've ever been called. You know, what is that? Well, the uh, governor uh, appointed me after I was nominated for the third time. Uh, you know, I put my hat in the ring several times and this time, uh, the powers that be said, uh, it's yours. So I go around the state, I go to schools, libraries, prisons, reservations, community centers, uh, in Astoria, for example, I went to the college, I went to the library, I went to the high school, uh, went to Kala performance space, went to Cannery Pier Hotel just to share poetry, talk to writers, readers, And the way I got here, uh, I think there are really two main rivers that flowed into the confluence of my work now, and one was my family. My parents were both teachers. My mom taught third grade for 30 years and was a very welcoming presence in childhood, Uh, you know, quoting poems, uh, interested in learning, writing, literature. Uh, my dad was a, a very busy poet who published 60 books in his lifetime, won the National Book Award, uh, traveled all over the world. He went to Iran under the Shah. He went to Cairo, Pakistan, Nepal, spreading poetry. But the mysterious thing about that was we, we never saw him write, because he got up at uh, three in the morning. And by the time we got up, his work was done. You know, he had his poem, and he was in a great mood. (laughs) He was a good daddy, I think, because he had this poetry practice. So that's one river, Uh, my my parents and my family, uh, encouraging books, reading, writing poetry. The other river for me, Donna, which I think really sustains me as Poet Laureate of Oregon is just my love of Oregon. Uh, of rambling around. In my 20s, I made my living visiting little country schools for a week to several months, uh, sitting with children and writing poetry. Uh, And I went from that with the little ones to an oral history project where I sat at the feet of 60 old-timers down in Florence uh, on the Central Coast Uh, And for a year and a half, I just was immersed in uh, country stories uh, from loggers, fishermen, uh, housewives, uh, sailors, you know, interviewing someone about being on a three-masted ship going across the bar. So I was fed the imagination of the young and the memories of the old and to me that that really was my apprenticeship as a as a poet as a singer as a uh someone addicted to stories so that's how i got here and you know in astoria i've just been so blessed to meet with people who are filled with stories and hungry for stories uh for the music of language for the the health benefits of uh, of a blessing, a few words put together in a certain way that helps you sleep better at night. Poetry can be a kind of call to action, it can be a kind of lullaby. It has that range
0: There are those who may think poetry is um daunting or what is a poem they don't understand and and they um can what do you say to folks like that?
1: Well, one thing I say is the field of poetry is, uh, you know, it's a forest. It has many creatures. Uh, There are many poems I can't stand. There are many that I don't understand. There are some that I in the past didn't understand and now I appreciate. Uh, So it's a dynamic uh, field. It's like many things, like music. It's like food. Do you like everything? Well, probably not. Uh, Do you have some favorites? Absolutely. But, you know, for example, if uh, someone uh, (laughs) fed you uh, an old piece of cheese and said, that's what food is all about, you would not like food. And I think that's how it is uh, with poetry. Someone, maybe in school, inflicted a complex, uh, kind of intimidating poem on you and said, that's poetry. And you said, I don't like it. Well, that's a sane response. And so, you know, in my travels, I just try to expose people to many different kinds of uh, song, blessing, love poem, uh, poem in memoriam, uh, a dirge, a call to arms, an anthem, and just hope that something, that every every witness, every listener, every reader will find something that helps them have a deeper life.
0: It's, beautiful language
1: well again it's like music you know there's a simple tune and then there's the orchestration there's a counterpoint there's the pleasure of a moment of dissonance leading to a resolution uh, I, I think poetry is a, it's a big uh, beautiful field of possibilities and uh, people go to it as readers to to find uh, how to face difficult things. I guess we're into the mysterious times now. Uh, You know, there's a lot in the world that puzzles us, and a poem is a handy antidote to despair or confusion because it's short, and because it, it may have a kind of a counter story to the darkness that will help you step back, take a breath, and look at life again in a new way.
0: Speaks to the heart.
1: That's right. Yeah, the the way the way music does. The way a kind look. The way uh, the hand of a friend. Uh, you know, it's it's poetry is, is intimate. It's uh, friendly to the mind if it's done uh, gracefully. Uh, and if you meet the right if you meet the right poem, uh, it could be a friend for life.
0: And as you travel working with students and adults, people of all ages, and if they say, well, I don't don't know how to write a poem, or I don't think I have a poem in me, you somehow encourage them that, yes, you have language in you, whether you call it a poem or prose or whatever it is, or a fragment of something, it's very therapeutic to actually write that down.
1: Yeah. Well, I noticed, Donna, as we're talking, the pauses and what you just said, it's very therapeutic to write that down. Those pauses uh, in poetry, we call those line breaks. And poetry is really our native language because we don't speak in prose with undifferentiated sounds, steady with no space, and we don't don't talk like that. That's not our language. Our language is units of breath, uh, syllables, and then silence, and the silences are important. So when people say they don't uh, connect to poetry, they don't understand poetry, they don't have anything to do with poetry. I don't think they are aware (laughs) that the very conversation we're enjoying is filled with the effects of poetry. We we use images, we uh, have proverbs that have uh, little nuances of language. Uh, Certainly, advertising knows how to uh, make a jingle. Uh, you know, get words that'll stick in your head with poetic uh, attributes. So it's it's kind of everywhere.
0: Hmm. What have you noticed has changed over the years? You've been teaching at Lewis and Clark now um, since 1979.
1: Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that
0: is amazing. Congratulations.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs>
0: and you're still finding time to write and publish?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, for me... Um, Teaching is very uh is a feast you know yesterday, I was with a group of a dozen uh students at Astoria high school and uh the poems they wrote while we were together, and everyone shared um uh, you know there was great skill, great courage uh and I saw the alchemy of you have a feeling inside you, you find words to bring it to the page, and then when someone reads that page, it goes into the heart of the reader or the listener, and sort of this mystic transfer from one heart to another through the medium of a poem. Uh, as it was very powerful yesterday. I, f- I felt humbled to be in the presence of these courageous young people.
0: It does actually require courage, doesn't it? Because we're vulnerable when we share those deepest emotions.
1: Yes, yes. Um, I think uh, the poetry is a way to uh, take down the defenses that we probably necessarily carry through much of our days. A friend of mine says, uh, Kim, we, we spend the majority of our energy not saying what we want to say. You know, there's something in us, and we think, well, I couldn't say that in the right way, or it would be taken the wrong way, people wouldn't understand, I'd get in trouble, I'd get somebody else in trouble. So we're constantly uh, measuring and monitoring and uh, sort of pushing down um, things that are within us. And to sit down quietly by yourself and take your time to get the words right is a way to break through that. Uh, armor, that protective separation that dogs us through most of our days.
0: And I think you're um, of the school that I've been reading recently that um, if you write with a pen in your hand on paper, it's actually better than on um, a device.
1: Yeah, well, studies show, <laughs> I get to say anything after I say that, right? <laughs> studies show that sure. yeah, d- different things happen in the brain when your hand is moving, when you're when the your, your body is part of your thinking. We, we are all one being. There's not a separation between the body and the mind and the heart. It's all one thing. And, yeah, they have shown that uh, writing taps into uh, a broader array of resources in the mind than uh, clicking keys on a keyboard.
0: And, Kim, if someone said to you, um, why... Why do you write and what inspires you? What would you say to them?
1: I think of something um, the composer Bach said. One of his students asked, uh, Papa Bach, where do you get your ideas for music? Oh, my child, I stumble over them getting out of bed in the morning. (laughs) You know, I feel that we are surrounded by uh, rich hints, clues, uh, little kindlings of of uh, mystic seeing, thinking, wondering. Um, and I, I think it's, it's salutary for a poet to spend time with young children who are closer to the earth and uh, more uh, alive to their own curiosity, uh, unburdened by too much uh, fossilized knowledge. Uh, I, I feel like a little kid in the presence of wonderland. And so, you know, everywhere I look, there are... Uh, There are beginnings for poems. Uh, And so I carry a little notebook in my pocket, and when I see something or hear something or remember something, I just jot down a few words and then come back to it later.
0: The natural world is a huge part of your life and of your work.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was in a school uh, a couple weeks ago in Salem, and uh, I was talking to the students about pussy willows. And none of the students knew what a pussy willow was. So then I started uh going through my own childhood catalogue of of the delights of the natural world, and you know the the woolly bear, the sow bug, the grasshopper, the ant, the honeybee uh the sipping nectar from uh honeysuckle flowers, and you know all these uh all these savory wonders of childhood and I realized a lot of the kids they didn't they didn't know a lot about that they uh, maybe sit on a couch and look at the screen and uh, you know I got tears in my eyes thinking "I, I don't know if I could have turned out very well without access to those wonders of the world
0: indeed we are not separate from nature we are nature yeah. And that's one of the challenges of our time is to um is to find that quiet time to sit and listen to the birds singing without the need to do something or compete or complete.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to put in here Donna. I I think here in Astoria uh one of the great advantages for creative life is that wonderland of the estuary out there, you know, to to wake up and yeah, we've got town. We've got our streets. We've got our cars. We've got our phones. We have our computers. We have our radio station. Many wonderful things, but we also have uh, an open look at a living river, with its tides and its weather and its skeins of birds and its, uh, you know, logs floating toward the sea and uh, birds diving, disappearing, grebes uh, going down, coming up somewhere else. You know, it's just a, it's a old wise integrated system of miracles that in Astoria it's right there in front of you you have access to that so I think that might explain why this community is a, a good one for for music for poetry for painting for thinking for wondering
0: Yes, thinking and wondering. If you've just tuned in and you're wondering what you're listening to, this is Talk of Our Towns. I'm your host, Donna Quinn. And today, it is my great honor to be interviewing Kim Stafford. He's Oregon's Poet Laureate. He's the author of a dozen books of poetry and prose. His latest book of poetry is Wild Honey, Tough Salt. We're talking about the role of poetry in mysterious times. And Kim, we would love to hear a poem. And and by the way, before that... Um, if you are interested in hearing Kim um, read, in finding out about other events, you can go to his website, which is kim-stafford.com, or the Oregon Cultural Trust has his calendar on it. And um, also, Kim's books are available at our local bookstores, Lucy's Books and Godfather's. And so, Kim, would you like to read some poetry for us now?
1: I would. I um... would. So this is a humble little poem that I wrote uh, a little south here on the coast at Rocky Creek, south of Depot Bay, where the whales were in. And uh, so I just jotted this little uh, recollection of what it was like. It's called Watching Whales at Rocky Creek. Random travelers, we've left our cars to stand at the grassy brink of the continent to be reduced to guttural, oh, and there, and wow, at each puff of spray and black arc sliding back into the deep that stirs the sea and our blood in massive kinship with the invisible now all must be elemental rocky creek sky honor salt you know so that's a, i wouldn't say that's a great poem but for me it's an important poem which is a distinction i find myself making that you know great poems are generally written by people who are dead and they get into books and <laughs> students are forced to write essays about them and find their hidden meanings and you know there are many great poems i love and enjoy but an important poem is one that captures a moment of insight of of wonder of curiosity and makes it available to yourself later in time and to other people. And this is the kind of poetry that I think is available to everyone, uh, either as a writer or as a reader. A little poem that gives you a moment of perception and allows you to step back from the frenzy of daily life.
0: Exactly. A poetry can take us into the timeless and out of the time bound.
1: Yeah. I One, th- one list I go through is when I advocate uh, a daily writing practice, which for me is uh, four or five in the morning, uh, to have an appointment with myself, to openly and luxuriously remember things and and inquire, uh, wonder. Um, I have to have that before email, phone, the news, errands, work, Schedules, deadlines, meetings, shopping—you know—all that uh, is going to come at you every day, and that's important. But if before that you have an appointment with yourself, just to jot a few, a few lines, that may help you uh, reconnect your heart with the work that lies before you.
0: That's beautifully said. And I know that we've also talked about the idea that poems are prescriptions. Yeah. They're medicine.
1: Yeah. And I have a poem that speaks to that, Donna. Um, My mom was born on the farm in Nebraska in 1916. And there's a story in the family uh, that was just a sweet story for many years. And then one day I decided I better bring this into a poem. And it's what the doctor said to my grandmother, Uh, shortly before this birth. Uh, So the poem's called Prairie Prescription. You have been weakened, the doctor said, by your first two children's births. This time you must obey without fail, or you will die. Harrison, my grandfather, are you hearing this? I prescribe an hour of beauty a day. Back at the farm at evening, Lottie retired to the rocker on the porch, while the fields turned purple With velvet and gold Crickets tuned their little drums And the breeze Brought pollen from paradise The dish towel on its hook Laundry basket tipped at the wall Socks not darned Bread not baked The quilt pieced in its box unsown. Lottie folded her hands And gazed far into the shadows Each day An hour of pure sky poured into the child curled inside her. Slanted sunlight braided into the rising, looming moon she tasted and swallowed. A thimble of starlight, a sip of dew. When the night came, at last, the harrowing umbilical tangle inside her, the doctor sent Harrison and the children to the barn to pray. While inside Lottie, all that light and color and music and holy stillness clenched, writhed, and with a wild song, my mother was born.
0: Oh, I love that. That is so beautiful. And it is from your latest book.
1: Yeah, Wild Honey, Tough Salt. And Donna, I think that poem uh, talks about what we started with, really, was that the uh, an hour of beauty a day, you know, whether you get that by uh, music uh, this radio station, um, sitting on the deck, looking out at the estuary, talking with a friend. Uh, it's essential. It's not a luxury. It's essential to have a time of beauty in your day. And poetry is one way you can get that.
0: Well, in our fast world, you said that poetry allows reflection. And it allows us to have that quiet, that stopping, which is healthy for us. It's very unhealthy for us to continue to to have transactional information, you know, in, out, in, out all the time with no ability to just sit and feel and reflect.
1: Yeah, and and I was sharing earlier, Donna, the idea that uh, Gary Miranda, a poet in Portland, said that those who do not read or write poetry are spared the inconvenience of thought. And uh, to not have thought is actually very inconvenient for life in a difficult world. So if poetry can help you be a little more ready, a little more poised, a little better humored, a little more uh, connected to imagination, uh, it's very practical. Po- poetry ultimately, I think, is a very practical thing. It's It can be viewed as a luxury, but actually it's, it's very... Uh, Essential to tuning up your soul and your mind and your heart, to put forth your best effort.
0: And I think you said that when you're traveling and working in 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 these um, roles that you have, you know, teaching, and that people are hungry for this.
1: Yeah, I have had people tell me uh, after the after your poetry reading, I slept better than I have in a long time. You know, we carry a lot of worry, anxiety, uh, uncertainty and poetry can help us uh, settle, clarify, focus on what's important to us. Um, I I had a report from a reading I did with my predecessor, uh, the eighth poet laureate, Elizabeth Woody, and our friend Jerry Ramsey out in Madras, and there was a high school student who went home and told his teacher, it was like church. There were a bunch of uh, people sitting and one person was talking, and after every poem, the whole crowd went, hmm, almost like they were saying, "amen." <laughs> I love that.
0: Yes, that's lovely. And you know, Kim, I wish we could talk forever. We only have a few minutes left. Yeah. What else would you like to either read or talk about um, or let our listening audience know?
1: Yeah, well mentioning Elizabeth Woody, my predecessor, in her last reading as Poet Laureate, uh, the 8th Poet Laureate last May, she said something that's become very important to me. She said, the more I do this, the less it's about what the poem is, and the more it's about who the poem serves. So I have a poem here I've written for my wife. Uh, It's called My Wife Wakes Me at 3 a.m. to Tell Me She is Overwhelmed. Not for joy did we marry, but for this to hammer through the to-do list in the dark, despair shared, one to lament and one to listen, knowing nothing can be done before dawn. But still the quiet aria comes, fierce prosecution of the self. As I say, what can be done will be done in time. For soon the tide will turn. Days will bloom and fade. Impossible imperatives will shrink to their true size for her. But rise to a tidal wave for me, and in the night, cast down, I will be the one lamenting to my bride, at the dark heart of my defeat, and she will tell me all is well. In this dance we do, for one another.
0: Mm. Yes, indeed, Perrin, and you have, <laughs> um, and you have much more to do. Um, during your term as Poet Laureate, and you're going to continue teaching at Lewis & Clark. That's correct. And are there any other aspirations, anything else that your heart is, is moving you toward?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I met the, po- the student Poet Laureate at Lynn Benton Community College, and he reframed this whole thing for me. Uh, instead of saying, I want to be a poet, he said, I want to find out how poetry can help me be whatever I want to be. And I think I want to move in that direction, that poetry is not an end in itself. It's a a friendly uh, apprentice and helper to anything you want to do in life. You want to do your job better. You want to be a better member of your family. You want to contribute to the struggle of your country to find consensus. Poetry can help you do that. It's a tool. It's an instrument. And uh, I I want to help Oregonians uh, use that tool To work toward uh, a better version of the human project on this fragile earth.
0: Hmm. Yes. Thank you so much, Kim Stafford. Um, We have about two minutes left. So you you can say
1: two more things. Okay. Or one more thing. Uh, How about if I read one more poem? Let's do that. Advice from a raindrop. And this is, uh, I have to say, a political poem. Advice from a raindrop. You think you're too small to make a difference? Tell me about it. You think you're helpless at the mercy of forces beyond your control? Been there. Think you're doomed to disappear just one small voice among millions? That's no weakness. Trust me. That's your wild card, your trick, your implement. They won't see you coming until you're there, in their faces, shining, festive, expendable, eternal. Sure, you're small. Just one small part of a storm that changes everything. That's how you win, my friend. Again and again and again.
0: Thank you, Kim Stafford. What a pleasure. Oh, what a gosh. pleasure, Donna. Thank you. <laughs> and um, you can, again, uh, visit Kim Stafford's website, kim-stafford.com. Uh, the Oregon Cultural Trust also has his calendar online, and his books of poetry and prose are available at our local bookstores, Lucy's and Godfather's, um, and anywhere else in the Columbia Pacific region that you happen to be. Again, thanks for making time for this, Kim. So Thank important. You. The role of poetry in mysterious times, indeed important. I want to thank Dylan Housershoek for his amazing engineering today and local talented banjo instructor Michael Byrne for his original theme music for this program. Until next week, find a moment for yourself today. In fact, right now, take a deep breath. It's like poetry. It connects you to your heart, to your body. Breath. And then with gratitude, focus on all the good things in your life, the things that are going well. There will always be those things that aren't going well, but focus on those things that are. And then give yourself a loving and compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you. You are the only one and for doing the best you can because everyone really is. And you are here now in this moment, the now moment on the amazing planet we call Earth.